0: G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I'm excited to have my colleague, Dwayne Long, property manager extraordinaire, regular property manager of the year from 2013, and really knowledgeable on the Residential Tenancies Act. And what better person to talk about, talk to about the changes that are proposed for the Residential Tenancies Act than Dwayne? So. We're going to deep dive into what these proposed changes mean to the average investor our opinion and take on um, the impact that they're likely to have how does it compare to our existing act and what are some of the implications that um, might come about as a result so lots to cover today let's go inside Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to
1: grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now here is your host, Jared Mann.
0: G'day, Dwayne. Thanks for joining me again. It's been a while since we've had you on, and it wasn't because your rating sucked. It's because we haven't uh, been back on the property management as a topic, um, but today we've got yes. a really juicy one in store. And thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me again, Jared. Thank you. <laughs> so we've made it to 52 episodes in 52 weeks. So I'm uh, surprised right. at how many um, topics we've I've managed to come up with and um, just wanted to thank all the listeners for tuning in so far and all the guests for making things a bit more interesting than just hearing me ramble on. So, uh, really excited to be at this um, milestone and thank you all, listeners. I've got the proposed changes to the Residential Tenancies Act in front of us. And I thought it would be really worthwhile us spending some time to break these down and go through what sort of uh, impact they uh, might have for the average landlord and also look at um, what it might mean for tenants a bit along the way, too. And you might have seen that some of the other states around Australia are also updating their Residential Tenancies Act um, if you've got properties in those states. And so WA is not alone. And I think there's going to be more of a trend towards adopting similar things across the board. So don't be surprised if you see some of these uh, ideas popping up in the other states that haven't had their reviews yet. And overall... (laughs) You probably don't need to guess, but it's moving more in favour of the tenant as a protected species, and it's going to make uh, the management of your property to be harder, uh, especially if you're going to try to go about self-managing. And if you've got a property manager, it's really a case of them getting up to speed and adopting, you know, the changes and working out um, how to practically administer them. So. I should mention that these are just proposed changes at this point, and the good news is that you're still able to have your say. REWA's got a survey open for landlords, and they're gathering feedback to pass on to Parliament at this point in time, so it's a really good time to get your head around them, get your own thoughts about them, and pop through some feedback on that survey. So I hope we don't lose any listeners here falling asleep, during. you'll have to Trying to make things exciting. I'll do my best. <laughs> and um, this is a topic that I thought was important, but it sometimes can be quite technical and there can be, you know, a lot of specifics. So I'm going to go quite higher level in the discussion and we'll go through some of the most important changes that are going to be meaningful if by no means won't be all the proposed changes or changes that they'll adopt. That makes sense. So, the first one is they're looking at changing the law about how they keep pets in rental properties. And the, in essence, they're proposing to allow all tenants to be able to keep pets. Hmm. What does that sound like to you? So, if tenants are actually allowed to keep pets, they, what sort of conditions should apply? Well, that's still up in the air. And what might be reasonable grounds for an owner to refuse the keeping of pets. That's still to be decided. And some of the possible options on the table is that only allowing a landlord to refuse where there's reasonable grounds to do so and allowing a landlord to refuse if there's an exemption from the court or commissioner. So how would you feel about uh, tenants keeping pets in your property, Dwayne, and not having a choice about it. I imagine some of the exemptions might be if you've got credible hay fever or some kind of medical condition, condition, you might be able to be exempt from that. Not sure what other conditions might allow you to not have your tenant keep a pet. What's your thoughts?
1: Well, I think that differs quite uh, dramatically to what we've got now where um, we can kind of say yes or no to pets. And by changing that, I think what it will do uh, is that – at the moment, a lot of landlords are saying pets considered and taking pets as part of that reference checking process to make sure that those pets won't do damages to the property. Um, by making a change like this, I think it just allows um, people to be able to move their families around a little bit easier because let's face it, you've got a dog, I've got a dog, and I wouldn't be moving into any rental anytime soon if they said I had to ditch the dog. Um, exactly. So, I think it, I think it's a fair move given how many people are starting to have pets as part of their family. Um, But I think the little bits of detail around what can be considered an exemption really needs to be refined to make it fair for both parties as well.
0: Of course, there'll be certain strata groups where a bylaw may prevent a pet and they wouldn't be able to have a pet in those circumstances, I imagine. And look, personally, I've always allowed tenants of my properties to keep pets because it helps them feel that the, you know that they're more at home and um, gives them one less reason to move if if they are looking at you know adding an additional pet. And I've always encouraged um, our clients to allow pets, especially where their circumstances suit. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what sort of exemptions are possible, won't it? My only concern was. And having thought about this for a while, the pet bond at the moment that we're allowed to take is $260, and that's towards fumigation and treatment, uh, sort of uh, only of carpets and stuff. So nowhere is it proposed, or are we able to take any more than a four-week bond? So a landlord at the moment is not really compensated for the extra risk of allowing a pet in a property, and. If a pet does damage something, it can run a hell of a lot more in cost and can really add up. So I would have liked them to have allowed an extra week or two rent in the bond to allow for that extra risk. But, of course, we're not seeing any mention of that in the proposal, are we? No, not at this point. <laughs> And not ever, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so pets look, I think, all in all, That's an understandable one and it could, um, you know, help tenants transition between homes and, you know, it might mean that owners need to consider how their properties are set up for the keeping of pets and make them more pet-friendly and more accommodating. So that could be one um, to think of, especially if the legislation is passed to include it. So next one is uh, should a landlord... Give certain information to a tenant before a tenancy agreement is signed. Now, I thought this one was only a good one because it is going to clear up, you know, some of the grey area that can um, arise when a tenant is taking on a property. So, some of the areas they're looking at is. Um, you know, requiring a landlord to tell an applicant if the if certain things about the property, such as um, their intent, to, does the owner have an intention to sell over that next twelve months, or whether it contains asbestos, and or whether there's other things that you know should be disclosed. Now, I would have thought uh, that real estate agents are already bound under their code of conduct to disclose anything that is of material a material fact that would have bearing on um, you know someone's perception of value or whether or not they'll take the lease on the property or make an application for it so where this kind of comes into play is that many many times a landlord can be thinking about selling or have a very definite plan to sell but they don't necessarily tell the agent and there's probably no need to tell the tenant if it is some ways off or if it's not firm so it's really going to come down to, you know, how concrete does this plan need to be to, to to have to tell the tenant that they're thinking of selling? And I would have thought a lot of the other things that are needed for disclosure should already be be getting disclosed to the tenant, um, Dwayne. So do you have any thoughts on, on this part?
1: Yeah, I think, again, um, it's very vague in what they've proposed in terms of um, the finer detail of it. But um, I think that as a tenant moving into a property, you do want to know if the owner wants to put the property on market within the next month because your weekends will be taken up by viewings and home yeah, opens sure. and yeah. it's not part of the that. deal that you know you otherwise had agreed to, right? So there are certain things that I think do need to be disclosed, but how as an agent, we've seen it before where our our clients um, may have not had the intention to sell when we renewed the lease or we drew a lease up. But circumstances change, and within a few months, it needs to go on market. Needless to say, the tenant's upset um, and a bit frustrated and feels almost sometimes maybe deceived. But in a lot of those cases, it's a genuine need. Something has happened. And, um this is why I think um, there has to be some level of disclosure if we know so we're not moving towards an agreement with something that's a material fact being hidden. But, um, yeah, I think I think it might be a good one too as long as we've got the, the exact detail of what disclosures are required rather than saying in the grey material fact because the material fact is different to everyone.
0: So um, one of the other areas they're talking about with this is potentially having a public database of landlords that are proven not to comply with tenancy laws and make that available for tenants to search. So it would basically be a blacklisting of landlords' database maintained by the Department of Mines, and that would almost be like the National Tenancy Database for Tenants. So did you have any thoughts on that one?
1: Yeah, look, I think what that will do is a lot of the investors that are good investors, the clients that we're working with, you know, the people that are prepared to spend money and follow the legislation, there's no harm for those types of people. But the guys that are doing the dodge and renting out properties, that are not up to standard, up to code, they're the ones that will uh, obviously feel the, the biggest impact to having yeah. a database like this. But I actually think that's not a bad idea either because it brings up the standard of living um, for all of those tenants and brings that property up to a standard that people expect to live in. You know, if you're paying good money for a property, you want a good property. So um I, I think, again, it has to be... uh <laughs> Report a little bit more, Jared. But I think it's not a bad concept. Just um, yeah, yeah,
0: it's I'll not think- a bad concept. I mean, at the moment, we assume that everyone does the right thing just because we do, and <laughs> um, and it's certainly not the case because we we know in taking on many new managements each month, just some you know some of the shocking practices that um, owners are facing when they eventually decide to leave their property manager. So uh, I can only imagine how that experience is on the tenant side, and I can't imagine. Um, for private landlords out there that, um, will when they go to finally appoint a manager, um, <laughs> they don't even know what they're doing wrong necessarily, so it, it can be a slippery slope. And if um, if there's a place where tenants can actually find out ahead of time, is this landlord that I'm renting from, have they had some black marks against their name, they might think twice about taking
1: that tenancy, wouldn't they? Yeah, definitely. I'm almost 100% in <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> So...
0: It's a warning sign if they're willing to take on the tenancy when there is black marks. (laughs) So, warning sign against the (laughs) (laughs) tenant.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: So, another um, one here, which is a no-brainer, and I won't spend too much time talking about this, but this is just talking about making sure educating landlords on the best practices around information, um, storage and privacy. And I thought that was an absolute no-brainer because, you know, we're already governed by the Privacy Act here um, as real estate agents, but a lot of these things that we, you know, do, such as not giving out personal information and protecting the privacy of our applicants, our owners, and our tenants, it's not a given when it comes to private landlords. So they might be in for a bit of a shock slash education uh, for all the self managing <laughs> people out there. And I didn't, I didn't see any major issue with that. Just again, making uh, you know things harder for that self manager. And no, nothing really different for for anyone that uses a property manager. So this one, you now this has a lot of potential to uh, really be contentious. <laughs> so should we encourage landlords to offer tenants longer leases? And they're looking at maybe five year leases, or, or maybe leases without uh, any end date. So I can understand where they're coming from that tenants want their certainty, and that. It can be very difficult when you've got kids and you're having to move and you're trying to get them in the same school zones and um, various, you know, you just want stability for your family. So I understand where they're coming from, the department with proposing this. And I'm sure all the tenancy advocates have all been very much behind it. Mm-hmm. But what it may mean is um, having leases just go on for a, an indefinitely long period, except for where. There's special terms or conditions perhaps in them and limiting the use of fixed term tenancies so that it remains open-ended and they people can only end for certain reasons. So
1: Yeah, I think this is a really interesting one because it's almost a bit of a reframe of property managers and investors' mindset. Because at the moment there's, you know, a particular process we need to follow with the Residential Tenancies Act. Um, and, you know, that's why a lot of clients say, one year, that's enough. If they're good, we'll renew. If not, we'll we'll get them out because it's the easiest option to to ask a tenant to move on if they haven't been the greatest. But I think um, it's a bit of a reframe because, you know, if you can have a good tenant in there, you you don't want to have to renew every year, go through that whole process every year. If you've got a good tenant that's in there, you know, chuck in a rent review clause in there as well as, you know, some special conditions. But I think it comes down to how do we end that agreement? And I think that's probably the uncertain thing for, myself um how do we end these agreements
0: well they do touch on some other proposed changes later so we'll get to those in a minute it basically would mean that the way i understand it anyway is that if we're just on ongoing periodic agreements as in there's no fixed term it's just open-ended or if the tenancy agreement is for much longer then there might be um, changes to how the notice periods and how the the actual tenancies ended so we'll touch on the, some of those in a minute Great. but some of the things that i uh thought thought about was um how would rental increases be handled and you know can they still just be done and uh at the moment it, i actually like the beauty of how rental increases rent reviews are handled because we do a six-month rent review and which the tenant, you know, in most cases may not have. They're already in the lease, and the re- the rent review is agreed upon prior to going into that lease. So it gets carried out, and if the rent has gone up in the meantime, that increase is passed on to the tenant in line with market. And there's many different ways you can do your six month rent review. But that's how we do them. So at the end of that tenancy, if the the market rent is higher than the tenant wants to pay, that's their kind of. Chance to exit and their way out. So I didn't. I didn't know if that same uh, time for exiting would be allowed. And I guess it just comes down to that notice period. Maybe they could give their three months notice or their four month notice if the rent was getting beyond their means, and that could be their option of exiting. So yeah, a bit, of, a lot of uncertainty around then how rent re- reviews would tie into it for me.
1: Yeah, I tend to
0: agree. So the other aspect that you know, a lot of people might not uh, appreciate is that when we've got this um, six or 12-month lease, and they're usually 12-month leases because we we only usually start a tenant on six months if if they've requested it or if we're not that sure of the applicant when we're commencing the tenancy. And that would be the case most of the time, wouldn't it, John?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that does come up is that, very often um, the tenant may not be an ideal tenant. And I'm going to try to put this in the the easiest way possible. So no one thing might be terribly bad or breachable. They might not, let's say they're not keeping the property well. Let's say they're not paying their rent uh, sometimes, but then they catch up, but it stresses the owner out to have uncertainty of their funds and when they're getting paid as well. So, And maybe they could be very difficult to deal with. And you don't find this out until you get into the tenancy and sometimes until it's all too late uh, for all parties. So none of these things individually might be enough to breach or terminate a tenant. And at the moment, we've only got a lease for a year. So we all kind of know when we get around to the end of this year that if the owner wants to change over their tenant, they cannot renew the lease and we can go about finding our other tenant and none of these things might be big enough to breach but it's enough for someone not to want to continue now the challenge with the these longer leases or with potentially one of the other changes proposed later is not you have to have a reason for ending a lease and that those reasons might only certain ones might be allowed such as selling or owner moving back in but if there's this middle ground of tenant not quite uh, ideal on many fronts, but nothing's enough to be breachable, then basically we could be stuck with that tenant as a landlord and not have a have a soft way of, of uh, going our separate ways. So do you see that as potentially a problem, Dwayne?
1: Yeah, I certainly do. That's what I was alluding to a little bit earlier. I know a few of our clients have actually requested that with any lease, they start with a tenant six months is the maximum they're prepared to give to a tenant because they feel like that's their only way to exercise their rights and ask a tenant to leave on no grounds. So as you mentioned, a tenant that's not quite there, um, that's just a nice, simple way for the client to say, look, move on, you go your separate way, we'll find somebody else who's a better fit for us. Soft um, exit. Yeah, and the reason a lot of landlords, I guess, have come to me and had this conversation is because they've been burnt in the past by previous tenancies, previous managers, self managing and just going through that process of being burnt and realizing that I don't want to be signed up to a tenant for 24 months off the bat with a little bit of uncertainty. Happy to renew a long term tenant if we know they're good, but we don't know till we start working with them. So, so that's the problem that I see moving forward is, um, if we're not getting along <laughs> the way we should be, how do we end that?
0: And there's no grounds to actually, you know, terminate the tenancy and. That's right, and it could be difficult. So that's right. All right, well, let's go on to the next one, and I hope uh, landlords haven't, uh, who are listing, haven't hung up their boots and decided to get get out of owning an investment <laughs> property yet. But look, all these things are manageable, and as I say, that many of them are, are going to be coming in into other states as well. And um, by understanding them, we can then um, you know all get on the same page and work out how to make the best of them too. So. Next one, rent increases. Should there be a change to how often rent can be increased and should the rent increases be capped? Jesus, Dwayne, talking about capping rental increases in selected zones across Perth potentially. I think that would be a bloody nightmare. Sorry to jump right in.
1: <laughs> well, it just depends on what the cap is.
0: <laughs> it does depend on what the cap is. And, a man, you know, getting that right, oh, I just think any cap's a bad idea, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I think it holds it, back that free movement of the market. You know, supply and demand is there for a reason, and yeah, if you're putting a cap on it, then it's just limiting and putting pressure on other places. It just it happens. You see, it it's all the a time distortion, a, isn't it?
0: And hundred percent, it, it imposes abnormal impacts on the, those markets. And imagine if that then affects an investor's decision whether to own a property there or not, and maybe it would have impact on you know sale prices, knowing that it can't be. Rent can't be increased by as much, or you know, you're limited. So, I'd really hope they get this if they're going to have right. a cap that it's right. You know, if it was 20% or 30% in a year, then we can work
1: with that. Well, that's basically what's happened in our market in the past 12 months, right? 20, 25%. And, uh, you know, I think that the market has moved very, very quickly, and some tenants are finding it hard and i completely understand yeah that understand from t- you know like i feel sorry for a lot of tenants when they are unable to find a property and they can't afford to pay for what they used to but as an investor too we have to ride the ups and downs when we can because when the market drops out 20 percent 30 percent and we're sitting at the bottom end of the market i don't see um there to be a rent you know decrease clause uh where it might cap rental the decrease cap can it. we have it can we have the cap <laughs> yeah. the other way
0: duane you know the 30
1: yes yes three
0: yes. percent that yes. happened over three years well i'd love it yes. put the negative cap at five percent i didn't <laughs> see that in the proposed changes anywhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and look we've we've all been through that we've seen it go up and down and it's it's sort of the time now where Investors can make some of that loss back um, if they've purchased slightly the wrong time, and the market's moved moved away from them. Then, you know, there has to be right that you can't do this and put a five percent increase, and you know, expect the market to continue the way it has been going for the past however many years.
0: The other part of this um, was looking at can rent uh, changing things so that you might not be able to review rents every six months. You might have only might be limited to only increasing them every twelve months. So I personally wasn't that excited about that because at the moment we're able to, you know, review at six months and pass on some of that increase that the market's had. And it's a, not as big a shock to the tenant then when we rock up at 12 months and, um, and you know, pass on a whole increase. There's been, a, you know, a more modest increase in the meantime. So there's kind of pros and cons to that. I can see that a tenant on one hand might like certainty of what they're paying for that whole 12 months. And the, for them, you know, getting an increase in six months that they can't exactly plan for can be difficult. So, yeah, it's I see both sides, but I think we should be able to increase every six months. And again, this is another control that they're imposing. So next one, maintenance and handling of repairs. So how do we ensure that landlords do repairs and maintenance to their property? Now, I wasn't too worried about this one because... The idea of uh, what they're proposing here is a maintenance bond. Uh, So having an amount held perhaps with the external department such that if maintenance that's required on the property and is necessary is not done, then the tenant could apply to have it taken out of this maintenance bond that's held. And look, I can understand that there might be those owners that put their head in the sand out there. I can say for certain that the vast majority of our clients, um, you know, are extremely good with maintenance and address it as it comes up. And if it's a larger item that isn't required, we can put a plan and work a plan um, with the tenant on on doing it, um, as long as it's not an essential service or something that was non-negotiable in the property. So... I I think uh, the idea that every investor has to come up with extra money to put in a maintenance bond for the government to earn interest on the funds that are just held there and not used. I'm sure this is where they're they're eyeing up their next uh, you know money pool to uh, create funds. The interest they'll use towards the first homeowners grant and other things. So I think it's overkill personally, but I can also understand for those tenants that are struggling to get maintenance done why it might be seen as necessary. Any ideas around that one?
1: The biggest thing for me is what's considered uh, repair and maintenance and uh, what's the threshold before a tenant needs to apply to the bond admin to be able to have that release of funds for things to be done. If it is urgent emergency repairs, I actually don't mind that. I think that's pretty fair. But if it's a a loose door handle or something that's quite silly... it's certainly (laughs) I
0: the door to uh, a whole bunch of extra administration of, you know, what constitutes a, a um, acceptable withdrawal then. <laughs> so
1: Yeah, and what sort of notice period is required? You know, you would normally inform your owner or property manager that something's wrong, needs to be fixed. What then yeah. constitutes the right for the tenant to go, oh, I'll, I'll get that sorted um, through the bonds rather than, you know, going through the right channels and doing it the right way. So, mm. yeah, again, it, there are a few concerns area of concern here but um again the principle of it i'm i'm not opposed to it
0: next one making changes to the property now this is a interesting one that has been coming for a while and look i think the vast majority of our clients are very reasonable when it comes to changes that are requested and the trouble doesn't so much lie in um in the what is getting done often the trouble lies in how it's getting done and how it's left after the tenant moves mm-hmm. out? So, I pr- presume they'll be requiring things to be done professionally. Basically, they're allowing tenants to make a whole raft of changes to the property without permission, so that could be war- you worrying go any further, for some owners. I think-
1: I think if this is to be implemented and brought in, then I think the bond that's taken from the tenant surely has to be a little bit more than four weeks, in my opinion. Because yeah. if they do.
0: Well, they are proposing a modification bond as one of oh, the solutions to that. That's good. So that was one of my initial thoughts that nah, surely we can't be keeping the same level of bond, but it would be crazy to go with this without that modification bond. So there's, it's not clear whether it would be included or not. Um, But it's one of the ideas alongside it. So, yeah, I'm glad you were quick to jump on that one.
1: (laughs) Oh, definitely.
0: (laughs) Because, yes, it only adds to the landlord's risk of recovery then if we've got to, um, you know, get other things rectified on top of the normal tenancy stuff that may or may not be done when tenant leaves. So, but um, it might allow the landlord to deny a request for minor changes, but only if the certain circumstances exist or how they have a court order so might make a few owners feel uncertain if such things as painting or installing picture hooks is possible without approval but ultimately if the tenant does rectify it and it's all done to professional standard and if we've got extra bond to cover it then you know it's workable in my opinion
1: i think it's workable too i think the one concern i heard from One of my clients a little while ago who talked about, you know, where should I put picture hooks up for tenants? And his idea and mine was that if you pick the right spots where people are not going to put a TV, where they're going to put a clock, where they're going to put a family portrait, do it, do it right, do it once, leave it there. Because what happens is if a tenant goes in and punches a few holes in the wall, they patch it up, paint it, looks good. Next tenant comes in, punches a few more holes, patches it up, looks good. After a few tenant turnovers on that wall, there might be quite a few holes, you know, that have just been puttied up and you know, you do have a lot more holes in that wall and the structural integrity of the wall can, you know, be compromised if there's that much there. Now, obviously that takes years and years and years uh-huh. of drilling, but um, that was a concern because for, for some landlords they do want their properties rented for long term. They're thinking 20, yeah. 30 years plus.
0: So and maybe that's a modification people can make if they are then aware that every tenant's gonna have the choice regardless of their approval maybe make it easy for them and maybe Mm. owners could look to do that now regardless of the law or not. So Mm -hmm. good one. Now this uh, next one is tied into our previous discussions around ending tenancy agreements and it's should a no grounds termination by landlords be removed from the Residential Tenancies Act? And this is uh, directly related to what grounds of termination to the lease can be given and basically, it's um, looking at needing, when, when a tenant is on a periodic tenancy, you'd only be able to end that periodic tenancy for certain reasons, such as moving back in or sale of a property or wanting to renovate the property. So potentially, again, you wouldn't have that softer exit to things possible, Dwayne.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to recap <laughs> what we said before, but... Um, oh I right. guess one of
0: the things they're looking at here is maybe changing the notice periods. So, at the moment, um, on on a, on a periodic tenancy, a tenant can give 21 days notice to the landlord to end the tenancy and a landlord needs to give the tenant 60 days notice to end the tenancy. And if the property is sold, they can give 30 days notice. I was hoping that they might make the notice periods the same for tenant and landlord. Heaven well, that forbid. That would be
1: fair, wouldn't it? <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> So uh, wouldn't that be amazing if I'd be up for a 60-day notice period to end tenancy if, if if it went both ways? So I just think there could be a bit more fairness in how they're going about this if they are going to make it only for certain reasons. So wait and see on that one, hey? Sure will. <laughs> <laughs> Next one was, um, this one was a little getting a little bit more into the complexities but they're basically proposing if there's a, a periodic tenancy and the property is sold if an investor bought the property um does that is there any grounds then for the investor to end that tenancy and place a new tenant and so the same thing comes up again that if that current tenant wasn't paying market rate they couldn't just move the tenant on potentially and if they're not keeping the property as well as they like they may not be able to to just as easily move them on either so in that case a lot of the value of the property would be more greatly affected by the quality of the tenancy so that's why having a, a really good tenant can add a lot of value especially if you end up selling the property to another investor and you don't want to be paying for it and costing you money if the, that tenancy isn't up to scratch. So,
1: Well, yeah, 100%. I mean, imagine in a scenario where that tenancy doesn't have a property condition report, uh, doesn't have an application form, and, you know, these tenants aren't that great on paying their rent on time. Not terrible to the point where you can actually pick them out for just a couple of days. That's right, that's right. And, uh,
0: And that was a good point about the documentation too because a lot of investors, when they're buying, don't even look into this. They just go to collect the file on settlement day and think oh yeah of course it's got a tenancy of course it's got a should report oh, of course inspections have been done but little do they f- know that they're about to be in for a surprise <laughs> <laughs> so under that situation you yeah, know they, they wouldn't necessarily have grounds to end that tenancy
1: yeah and i think the ending isn't sometimes necessarily for the fact that the tenants have been good or bad but it's almost like some of these properties, they do need that fresh start. You know, they do want to do things right from the beginning and not pick up someone else's headache and mess and carry yeah. that through for the next five years. It's increasing the properly. risk for that investor. So, yeah, I think uh, I'd hope this doesn't come about, but we'll see how we go.
0: <laughs> Another part to this, which would have a lot of impact on what I do on the sale sale side, is that they're proposing that we may need to give sixty days notice if sold instead of thirty days notice. So at the moment, I give tenants six or seven weeks notice because that's the normal settlement period and I'd allow a few days on the backside to have them vacate and I give them more notice if possible. But if the minimum period uh, when we've got a tenant in the property is 60 days uh, on periodic tenancy, then it's going to push our settlement dates out. So we'd have to then settle in sort of a minimum of nine weeks versus a minimum of six weeks and... While that might not sound like a big difference, it's just extra time that a buyer would need to wait potentially and, you know, extra time that a seller will have to wait for their money, a buyer will have to wait to purchase the property. It just adds time and we should be making things, I think, simpler to transact if we can. I understand where they're coming from, but especially in this market, poor tenants at the moment, if they, if they do have to move out, it can be very hard to find a tenancy. But we need the legislation to stand regardless of kind of all markets. And and six or seven weeks is still, you know, a reason, a, a decent notice period. And maybe they could set it at 42 days for six weeks to be in line with the normal settlement period instead of 60 days. But I guess semantics to some, but, you know, we'll have a practical difference. <laughs> Uh, when we come to doing a sale, so termination of a fixed term agreement and what is involved? What's this one?
1: Sorry, termination of a fixed term agreement by a tenant, right? Ah, uh, yes,
0: yes. So, um, I guess I so what's involved in this one, Drain?
1: <laughs> what's involved in this one? Well, <laughs> really, the question is: should a tenant be allowed to terminate a fixed term tenancy agreement? And it was basically, basically giving them more out
0: along the way. Without potentially having as many consequences,
1: I think when I first read this one, I was like, nah, nah, this can't, no, no, this can't, you can't be allowed. So, to yeah, do that. some of the but things they I were talking about. I think some of the causes was, they mentioned. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Joe.
0: Yeah, they were talking about capping break lease fees to the tenant um, and potentially having a no, no break lease fee payable in certain circumstances. And I found this to be pretty difficult to swallow, basically, because if an owner has to pay costs and very real costs in order to, you know, replace that tenant on a contract that they've signed, then why shouldn't the owner be able to pass on as much as possible of that cost? And why shouldn't that be payable by the tenant? So, imagine if they came and capped a break lease fee at a small amount, and then the owner ends up bearing, you know, more of the cost than they should. So that's one of the possibilities that could happen.
1: Yeah, I was thinking this through. It just depends on where they can you know, come to an agreement of what that break-lease fee is. Because if it's in a reasonable amount, a couple of weeks' worth of rent gives us ample opportunity to, replace yeah. a tenant paying if it arson- simplified it perhaps and said you know two <laughs> weeks rent is out. no i don't think i'd
0: ever simplify no, it no. <laughs> 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 what am i saying if, if
1: that was the case yeah. if that was the case that's that's absolutely possible, and i'd be happy with that and i think one of one of two of the other things they have mentioned about um allowing a tenant to terminate fixed term lease without penalty were things like um you know being offered a place in social housing or being um offered a place in aged care facilities where these guys are actually probably never gonna necessarily Go need to rent the normal a property again. again. Yeah. So in those scenarios, I can kind of see why it would make sense. And we're talking probably not even one percent of all the people that break lease when we look at yeah. that. So Tall it's numbers. two groups, right? So that's that's okay to me, but I think it comes down to, to what that fee is. that break lease fee is, you know, set at three hundred bucks, it's not really it's not really worth it for a lot of landlords when you know average what rents in perth are what 450 at the moment so it's not even a week's worth of rent
0: yeah i'd hate for them to set a fixed amount then because they'll probably only review it every five or ten years too Um, (laughs) i hate to be uh, skeptical (laughs) so let's go on with some of the other ones we've got um i'll skip over the next one about abandoned goods that could just help i think potentially speed up the disposal of goods and could be a slight positive to owners if they've got some more options available for disposal, um, providing it's still lawful. So that that wasn't kind of here nor there for me. Making a claim on the bond, they were looking at how to potentially speed up the, the bond release process. So this could be good if it's handled well. It would basically allow either the landlord or that tenant to apply for disposal of the bond and then have a period you know what sort of period would the other party need to agree by or respond by and it was basically starting to open the door as well for the commissioner to settle bond disputes potentially instead of the court so they might be looking to have a big shake up on whether or not uh, we're taking these kind of disputes to court to court or not train was what i was reading into there and if it's all handled well then great. But um but if again it comes down to specifics of how the process then is and whether it's done well. So well
1: could, I mean, could go either way. Like four to six weeks sometimes for a court date, it's a fairly long time to wait for a you know, a couple thousand dollar dispute that you know, the investors need the money, the tenants need the money to move on. Just to be sat in front of a court six weeks is a bit long. So if they can speed that process up, you know, changing that system. So look, the
0: next one which ties into that was the resolving of disputes. So they're throwing around different ideas. Again, not of having having the commissioner involved instead of the courts, potentially then having the state administrative tribunal instead of the magistrates court with it, once it did go to court, having um, a you know a dispute resolution kind of process to follow instead of the magistrates court as well. So
1: you missed the first option there, mate, which was uh offer mediation. Yeah, mediation.
0: That's that's what I was <laughs> circling back around to. So, yeah, before you yeah. got to any of those things, look, I think they've been wetting their appetite for mediation because they uh had a mediation process involved during the times of COVID, which basically took pressure off of the courts and uh gave a third-party mediator someone there to help massage things and resolve things through when, you know, both both parties can't get on the same page. So potentially, I think, as you said, it could be good for freeing the courts up and getting resolutions quicker, but it also depends, you know, how they go about it and whether they have a, the correct resources to deliver on it in a timely fashion as well. So they managed to give one slide to covering some potential bet- Potential benefits to the landlords. Hold, hold on, guys, we've got something for you here. Yep. So um, they're asking the question: is the Residential Tenancies Act balanced between the tenant and the landlord rights and responsibilities? And I think the short answer to that is no. But um, here's some ideas that they've got to maybe move things the other way. So they're looking at potentially making it an offense under the Residential Tenancies Act if someone willfully damages a property. Now, I thought this was a bloody good one. What, are, what can happen often when a tenancy goes bad, and thankfully we'd only ever have very rare instances of this, might have one instance in a year from 800 tenancies we manage, and it, what can happen is, you know, a relationship can go south, a whole bunch of things can change in someone's world, who knows what's going on, but it's always, for us, it's a case of um, a lot of things from left field. Good tenant goes bad and they decide to take it out on the property one way or another, and it's willful. It's not accidental. It's we're going and punching holes in doors and, you know, we're going to leave things as messed up as, uh, as we can. And it might even just be small instances of this. At the moment, we can take them to, we can, you know, keep their bond, we can claim on insurance. So we've got protections there. We can take them to court. We can get a court order, But it's really still only like a civil thing. It's a it's a court order for money that is owable. And, you know, we can then we've got other options then for debt collection and we can lodge them on the National Tenancies database. And there's other things that we, we can do. So let's not get too down on all this. This is this would be an extra layer added on to add an offense, the damage of property and to make it more accessible under the residential tenancies act from what i gather so so what are your thoughts on that one Drian? i think it can only be a like good it. one
1: yeah i like it <laughs> i don't think anyone should be able to get away with trashing other people's places you know and um regardless of scenario i think I, I really like this um and i think that you know it should be something that's brought in and if it is an offense is there a fine um you know that would be yeah as part of that, that would be the so, next yeah. question wouldn't it yeah yeah and and what's that fine look like and i think I think it's a good one. I really do. And there are already some things in the Residential Tenancies Act which um, do put fines on the landlords and tenants, which we won't get into today. But, um, you know, it's mainly on the landlords and uh, your <laughs> property manager. <laughs> so <laughs> it is, but I think this is a really good one to um, just hold tenants to account. I just don't like seeing someone's property trashed just because someone's had a bad day and then they walk away and disappear. Not that yeah. we ever see that often, but when clients come to me with uh, that it. have had that happen yeah. to them, um, you know, I really do feel sorry for them. And literally, those guys have disappeared. You don't know where they've gone. You can't track them down. No way to get that money back for the client. At I least they'll have assurances methods.
0: It'd be great if that offence—and I'm just reading into things here—but it'd be great if that was, you know, a criminal offence that would, <laughs> you know, be on their record. And you know, when they're applying for jobs, do they have a criminal record? You know, explain mm. this uh, willful damage that you've made to um, uh, you know property, so mm. people might think twice about that if that's the impact. So that could be a really good one. Now let's move on to the next one. I'm so excited talking about these rebalancing of the the RTA. Um, <laughs> this next one I'm very excited about, which would be if uh, a tenant's repeatedly late in rent, providing options to the landlord. For presumably ending the tenancy or some other, I mean, I'd love it if other, imagine if we were able to charge a late fee, Uh, Dwayne, I don't think that's going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's, that's my brainstorming here. I mean, God, um, late fees go back as far as, you know, uh, late fees on your videos uh, at Blockbuster. um, Well, late fees are everywhere. (laughs) Late fees are everywhere, you know. (laughs) If you don't pay yeah. your rates in time if you don't pay your uh, electricity you name it whatever else is owing in your life if you don't pay your loan interest our poor landlords and myself you know if, if we don't pay our loans um we've got uh late fees and interest accruing so this i, I, I don't think for a second they're going to allow late fees um <laughs> so <laughs> talk myself down on that one but um imagine We get the situation, Dwayne, where we've got the repeat offenders that, you know, don't pay their rent consistently all the time. So imagine the owner waiting to get their pay. They've got a loan interest due that week. They might be a little short on funds themselves. You know, they've just, um, they're getting by, might be getting by week to week. They might have had some things go wrong in their worlds with job or COVID or whatever else and it's really worrying when the tenant isn't paying their rent and we're having to serve them you know a breach notice every every month and then they go ahead and catch up and make the payments again and we're continually having to follow up with them continuing to have to put effort into chasing this rent and the poor owners continually worrying about whether they're getting paid so i would absolutely love it if there was some kind of middle ground where okay You've had two breaches, maybe three breaches for rent owing. Here's a three-month notice to end the tenancy or something like that, you know, a longer period, but it's not working out for everyone. It's, it hasn't been enough to terminate you on. It hasn't been severe enough at any one time, but, you know, let's go our separate ways. Here's three months. Um, of course, the tenant will probably stop paying rent at that point. <laughs> uh, before they move out. But Yeah, what do you think about that one?
1: Yeah, I that too. You know, I think that's one of those, um, of course I do. You know, this is one of the things I was alluding to earlier on about you no know, grounds termination. You know, it might seem petty to some, oh, I mean, a couple of days late here and there, but that impact can be quite dramatic on, you know, an investor who might need that money on that day as you alluded to earlier as well. So, um, yeah, I think that there needs to be some balancing of it you can't keep giving tenants more and more rights. And I think at the moment, the way the RTA reads, or the way I read it anyway, the tenants do have a lot of rights um, and do have that sort of balance of power. And moving forward, even so, I think we're going to see a lot more consumer protection creeping into the Residential Tenancies Act. You know, when was the RTA written, Jared? Like 30 years ago, right? So 1987, um, I believe, originally. Yeah, so that's right. So there, there has to be some, um, you know, changes to the legislation to keep up with the changes in our society. But... I also think that, yeah, consumer protection is going a bit nuts and it's sort of creeping into our jobs day to day now um, with tenants and owners.
0: The other one they mentioned here was also allowing options if the tenant has received repeated breaches. That could be other things like not keeping the property up to scratch and you, you keep having to issue them a breach and they fix it up at the end of 14 days. And then the next time you're out there in four months' time, they've let the place go completely again and you're continually having to breach them for for that. And you know, I think that if they're going to put such a thing on um breaching for non-payment of rent, I think the same should exist for repeated breaches, you know, for other things and just at least make the same thing consistent and simple. That if you have three strikes, for instance, you're you're out. If the landlord decided to to exercise that so yeah well they better bring some fairness to things with uh, all the other proposed changes in in favor of the tenant but <laughs> wait wait and see hey
1: yeah definitely i'm on the edge of my seat on this one i know not many people <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe yes. but
1: I, I certainly am because i think it makes a big impact to investors um and myself as an investor you know if there's more to comply with but i don't get any more from it either it sort of does put a question mark in my mind but you know if they're able to square off that ledger by adding some of those protections we've just discussed in for the landlord as well just to balance out and make sure this is a fair arrangement then I'm all for it
0: and look the overall impact of all these um, proposed changes is that it is going to make it harder for someone to self-manage their property I don't think it's by it should by no means be a reason for someone not to invest in property we've got to think big picture on why we're investing in property. We're we're trying to create wealth. You know, if we've got a few extra little things to comply with along the way, then in the grand scheme of things, you do that for the bigger picture, don't you?
1: Yeah, that's right. And you've just got to focus on that bigger picture. Um, you know, that I completely agree with.
0: And it does give a greater need for a professional property manager that's all over these things. And one of the things we've always done well in the past with any changes of legislation, especially during COVID times, you know, we're just very quick to get onto things and make sure that all of our clients are doing the right thing and not um, exposing themselves to risk when legislation's already passed. So we'll be all over it it when and if it does come through and we'll keep updated on what actually makes it through to the legislation. But on a final note, if you're still listening and you've made it this far, it would be really great if you could go and uh, have your say on these proposed changes because it's not too late for the department to hear what landlords think. I've already completed, uh, Rewa's got a survey at the moment. It takes about 10, 10 minutes or so. They say 20 minutes, but it's a you 10-minute know, survey. And I'll put the link in the show notes and that would be a great chance for you to go and have your voice heard and for this to be passed on to the legislators now because the department originally i believe drafted some of these proposals in 2020 but then we had covid uh, hit and they were all tied up with the covid legislation and the other things now they've got it back on the agenda it's that the department is no longer has has it open for public comment but it's being debated in Parliament, from what I understand, and it's been going around and around in there, from what I hear, with some really hot debate. And that's why Rewa is uh, trying to get as much feedback as possible to pass on to the to Parliament at the moment and show people in Parliament what are some of the potential, um, you know, impacts and how people actually feel about these changes. So that's why. Even though uh, it, it was a bit of a dry episode, Duane, I thought it was important yes. because if we're going to have our say, the time is now. Otherwise, uh, it'll, it's going to be too late.
1: Yeah. Once it's law, it's very hard to change. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good one. So thanks for joining me today, mate. Um, uh, thanks
1: for having me again, mate. It's nice chatting with you.
0: And we'll catch up again on an episode coming up soon, too. Awesome. See ya.